Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing, projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi, and welcome back to Punkcast. Today we've got Punk 485, our first dev punk. He's a 480, sporting a headband, earring, big beard, and three glass, 3D glasses. He's one of the most purest punks and art collectors out there with some spicy takes on royalties and value extraction in the NFT space. Please welcome Ohms to the show. Ohms, how are you? And welcome. Hey, well, thanks for the, the very generous introduction. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm purist and I probably hold back on like 90% of what I actually want to say. Um, but it's great to be here and thanks for having me on. No, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, well, we'll have to sort of dig into it and hopefully I can get some of uh, some of the uncensored takes uh, on this podcast. Um, but but maybe, uh, maybe you could just start us off with, I guess um your name like omz ohms how did you come up with it what does it sort of mean um i mean for me it's just a i associate it with the unit of electrical resistance it's a symbol that's always been kind of important to me i don't know for whatever reason and um it's also kind of been a nickname of mine so i kind of just it was the first thing i thought of when i was like when i created my twitter account a couple of years ago for nfts I didn't really think that much about it, um, but that's where it came from. That's cool. And so maybe you can just share a little bit about yourself, uh, I guess your backgrounds and, you know, what brought you sort of into NFTs? Sure. Um, well, my background, I've been, I've, I've been in tech for most of my career. I've, I've launched a bunch of startups, all kinds from like software to wearable tech. I've even like launched artist uh, artist collective in the past, things like that. Uh, very wide range. I also write on the side, and and I'm a creative director for every company I've started. That's kind of the role I've played. Um, I'm not crypto native, so a lot of the stuff I'm, I've been learning as I go. Um, so I'm not a trader. I'm not into the finance side of things like maybe a lot of people are. So for me, it's always educational. Um, and I came into NFTs by accident, really. I was following a couple of accounts on Twitter. Um, Jason Williams was one of them, you know, going parabolic. And he posted, I think he was bidding at an auction for Trevor Jones piece, which was Picasso's Bull, which is one of his most iconic artworks. And um, I really liked it. I thought, wow, that's really cool. So I started following Trevor. I ended up buying one of his prints. He had a, a limited ed edition run of those prints. I bought one of those and continued to follow him. And then he started teasing a project that he was dropping with like these images of Batman. And I'm a huge fan of Batman. I've always been a fan of Batman. So it really caught my eye. And he started talking about digital art. And you know, I wasn't familiar with any of this stuff, but I really, really wanted to get my hands on one of these images that he was, he was pushing. 
Um, so I ended up jumping in, basically diving into this auction, not knowing what I was getting myself into. I had to learn how to use MetaMask on the fly and it ended up being a really crazy auction. Uh, ended up winning edition number 10 of 10 of, of the Protector, which is one of the two different artworks he created along with Jose Delbo, which is, you know, who's, who's, who's been a big comic artist for a long time. And that was my first NFT. That was kind of my introduction to the space. So as cliche as it sounds, I, I, I literally did come for the art. Um, I, I do remember that time. That would have been um, sort of late 2020. Uh, sort of the back in like November, December. Is that right? That's right. Actually, my two-year anniversary was like four or five days ago. That dropped. Ah. So about two years. Yeah. So middle of October. I see. Yep. Now all uh, well, happy two-year anniversary, mate. And um, <laughs> I, I and 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 Jason, if I if I remember correctly, he uh, he was a staunch Bitcoin Bitcoin uh, guy, right? Um, yeah, he still is. But I mean, to be fair to him, um, I mean, I think he he discovered Ferocious, him and um, and uh, I forgot his name, but. Anthony, Anthony Pop- yeah, yeah. I think they discovered Ferocious, to be fair. And and that's kind of like, so I got my introduction to digital art through following them. But again, I mean, this by pure coincidence. I, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was I'm very, very grateful to have, have discovered it. It's, uh, it's, it's funny. I, I came in exactly the same way. So I was subscribing to Pomp and his uh, news feed. For a while, and uh, he was he was showing. Uh, I think it was ferocious. Uh, it was the 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 dinner one. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what that was called? But he was showing sure. that, and I was just curious about it. And uh, I think it went to find a way to Nifty Gateway, and and sort of found along uh, uh, found about NFTs that way. But um, but yeah, so so like with with you, I mean, like how talk us through. I guess that sort of process. Then what? What were you sort of thinking at the time when you first saw, I guess, the concept of NFTs from from Jason um, that actually led you to, you know, buying your first NFT? And just out of curiosity, was the, was the Batman was your first NFT from uh, Trevor? Yeah, Jackson? the Protector. Yeah, that's right. Number uh, ten out of ten. How um, much was that going for at the time? Man, I, <laughs> I mean, I could have bought a lot of punks for what I paid for. I didn't know. Uh, I, I, it went for sixteen ETH in okay. auction. So it was a pretty heavy bidding war, yeah. uh, but for an addition of ten, that's quite a that's quite a big number. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't know any better at the time. I was still counting in dollars. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but look, I mean, for me, I've always been interested in art. I studied art in high school, but I never did anything with it. And then, like I mentioned, I I I, I play the role of a creative director for every company I've started, and so. A lot of that entails dealing with designers, spending a lot of time browsing through portfolios on Behance and Dribbble and these kind of websites, which frankly is, is very similar to browsing art on SuperRare or Foundation. You know, you're just looking through images and picking things you like. So that process was already kind of familiar to me. And um, I collect rare books. I've always, I've always had a collecting bug. I think a lot of people, you just like kind of have that, this, you know, predisposition to, to collecting and, and and for me it was old books rare books so when i came across this it just clicked in my head right away i understood i just understood because you i think when you experience a sense of owning ownership 
or something that is rare or scarce, I think that that's kind of a universal feeling, whether it's NFTs or something physical. And so it was a very natural thing for me. I didn't think twice. I didn't question it. Um, yeah. So, so, so. Okay. So a couple of questions. One, uh, a little bit just to sort of clarify as well. When you say creative director uh, for tech companies, is that sort of more the front end UI, UX uh, direction or the, the, the creative side of that? It's, honestly, it's, it's everything from the branding and identity mm -hmm. uh, to the kind of visual language, which emerges from that, uh, and then extends to the UI. The UI is a bit more granular. But um, you think of it like, you know, designing the personality of the business or the brand and all the things that go into that. Um, so it's very design, it's very design oriented, it's very art oriented. A lot of it is like it's subjective. Um, it's like a lot of gut instinct, right? Like, you know, I can't really explain to you why I like certain designers over others. Sometimes it's just, it's a, just a feeling. Mm. That's cool. So, so talk to me a little bit about book collecting. I mean, I've never met anybody that's collected books before. Like, what kind of books do you collect, and and you know, how do you actually collect them? Do they carry a lot of value now as well? Like, is there a big market for for rare books? I mean, they can. I mean, obviously, they're very illiquid. Um, but you know, there is a market. There is a website. I think it's called Abe's Books, where you know, it's a huge marketplace for old books. Um, for me, I'm a big reader. I've always been a big reader. So I have, I always, I've, you know, I've got hundreds of books in my home office. And so I really, and I really respect and value that tradition. And um, I just find, I mean, the books that I focused on were already, are they quite visual? So, you know, uh, let's say a hundred years ago, or even, you know, further back, a lot of writers and publishers, what they do is they go and they'd hire a famous artist or illustrator and get them to hand, hand draw illustrations into the books to accompany the, the actual text. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it, it's like, getting a, it's like getting a novel and then having like 10 illustrations, like beautiful hand-painted painted illustrations as part of that inside the book. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's, I mean, I find these things quite beautiful. And then you talk about the binding and the cover and the materials. Um, you know, and then the idea, in a way, like kind of the physical provenance, you know, some of these books have personal notes written into the inside cover that someone wrote like 100 years ago, to someone that they care about or something with a special message. I kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of like that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can buy some of these books go for, you know, five, six digits. You know, I haven't bought books that expensive, but they can go for that, you know, that amount. And it really depends, um, you know, like, for example, if there's a book you really love, it'd be cool to own the first edition of that book, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I can't actually put a finger, I can't really remember how it started for me, but I know that by the time I discovered digital art, I had already, you know, collected like 30 or 40 rare books and, and most of them from like little bookstores in New York, you know, in New York City, little old bookstores, which is again, a cool experience, you know, because it's a very nice way to discover something. You go into one of these little bookstores and you just rummage through the shelves and you never know what you're going to find. Um, so the experience itself is quite cool. Yeah. And rare nowadays, you know? 
That does sound cool. I um I should probably try to explore a little bit. Too. I'm a little bit intrigued. I uh, I'm, I'm based here in Hong Kong, so we don't have a lot of space. Um, but I do miss um, you know, reading a physical book. Uh, I think I'm just forced to read on Kindles and audiobooks now. Um, but uh, I think there is something nostalgic about just picking up a book and just sitting there and just reading it and turning the pages. But I think it'd also be pretty cool to to read through some of the notes or the messages um, that have sort of been left there from a long, long time ago, right? So um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and so, so I guess that's how you, I guess, had a bit of a, you had an eye for art, uh, naturally, I think, through the work that you're doing. And you also had a bit of a knack for collecting um, because you like it. Um, and I could probably see that, um, you know, coming across on on Twitter as you being a, a very strong purist collector in the space. And, and, so, and so talk me through, I guess, your... Um, your, your first purchase then um, and, and, and was it easy or was there a lot of friction for you to get Ethereum and, and purchase or was that sort of learning on the fly um, for you? I, I, I had, I had, I already had some Ethereum, you know, cause just being in tech, I got exposed to it. I thought it was really interesting. So I, I just dabbled a little bit. I bought a little bit. And I just held it for, for a few years. So I already had the Ethereum like in a Coinbase account. And it was a question of, okay, I've got it in Coinbase. How do I actually use it to bid on this, on this piece? Um, it wasn't so bad. I mean, I, you know, I think it helps, again, if you're already in, in tech or if you're already used to user experience design and things like that and, like, looking through many different applications, you kind of can figure it out. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't too bad. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Makerspace, where this actually dropped it also lets you pay by credit card. So I was, you know, I didn't do that. I could have, um, but it was, it, it made it a bit more like, I guess, um, relatable. But yeah, no, it, the, the friction wasn't so bad, but I could see how, I mean, even today, like a lot of friends of mine who want to buy their first NFT or, you know, even people who are like in tech themselves, they do struggle with the process. And I, I think some people, it quite, can be quite intimidating. So I also think that there's a mindset there and an you know, appetite for risk that plays a role into, you know, how, how your willingness to actually dive into these things and, and, and try them on. And, and, and so after you bought your first piece of art, your Batman, Trevor Jones, like, what was your transition into um, CryptoPunks? Like, how did you find out about it and how do you sort of navigate through that? Um, I think the first time I really became aware of them was, was when G Money posted that like famous thread, like first week of January. You know, the famous thread when he was talking about why he bought his ape. Yeah. Um, you know, because that, that kind of made a splash at the time. And then it intrigued me enough that I started to read, you know, about the history of, of the collection and Larva Labs and all that stuff. And I thought it was really cool. And then I joined, I joined the Discord, you know, a couple of weeks after that. And within two days of joining the Discord, I bought my first punk. Because, I mean, especially at that time, the passion that the guys that were in the Discord had for punks was just off the charts. It's not like it, it, how it is today. And I'm not 
I'm not denigrating what, you know, how it is today because it's different. But at that time, 90% of the conversations were around traits, punk traits, around like punks themselves. People were just geeking out about punks. And so for someone that's, you know, at the time a lurker, I was just lurking, reading these conversations, um, you couldn't help but like, it was just infectious. You couldn't help but um, kind of start to, you know, become excited and passionate about these things and then start to, to really relate to what could be so appealing about them. So it was just, yeah, it was just, it became super, it was natural then. I didn't even think about it. I just, you know, I was like, I was, I still remember. I mean, I was so happy and excited to buy my first one. Um, and the guys, like I said, the guys that were in there, they were great. And it's something I always say, I think it should be like considered a rite of passage for any new punk, punk holders to spend some time and read through the chats. Go to like March, 2021 and earlier, you know, just spend some time, read through the conversations. You'll see, I think you'll see what I mean. And I think it'll also give you a different perspective on the collection and the type of people that really kind of drove punks to where I think where they are today. And um, I just think it's a really cool experience. And we're lucky that Discord just preserves all of that history. And so people should take advantage of it. Absolutely. I, I mean, I probably need to uh, <clears throat> go back and troll through some of that. Um, so, so just just going back to that point in time, um, do you remember many sort of punk faces that were then hanging out in the early stages of their career um, that are actually doing something a little bit more different now? Do you I mean, remember in yeah, like uh, for sure. I mean, like I remember like, you know, OX113D, uh, the creator of Terraforms. Yeah. So they bought their, their current punk, which is the Def Punk. They bought it I think, like maybe a couple of days before I, I bought my current punk. Mm. And they were actually, that's how I actually figured out you could buy Def Punk from the, from the developers at the time. I didn't know you could. Mm. Um, so I still remember that vividly. You know, they, they put out a bit. I can't remember. I think it was, I think it was, not, I want to say it was 9 ETH uh, for a beautiful Wild White. And, and it, it hit. The devs accepted it, and um, so they're they've obviously come a long way since then. Also, these uh, his current punk, he bought it. I think again a day or two before I bought mine, he also bought his from the devs. Same thing, threw a bit out there, and the devs accepted. Um, so yeah, I mean, besides those two, I'm sure there there are a ton that I'm not remembering, but I mean there are there are people who I consider to be like. Uh, real pioneers and OGs of the punk com punks community, people like Justin Trimble, uh, people like Dave, um, you know, Snowfro was in and out. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and, and really like those guys along with these, they really played a huge role in generating excitement around the collection, educating new people. They were always generous with people. They were always kind. So anytime someone came in wanting to buy their first punk, I mean, these guys were so welcoming and so helpful. I mean, I, I remember one time um, these actually bought some, a punk that someone else wanted, a deaf punk, and then he realized that this person wanted it, so he sold it back to that person at cost. No questions asked. Uh, and it was a beautiful deaf punk. I mean, so, 
you had that spirit, you had that energy in, in the Discord that I think maybe it just made it, it made it so much more appealing to, to be a part of the community. And we kind of lost that, unfortunately. We kind of lost that, I think, probably from May 2021 for a few months that we kind of lost that energy in the Discord. And I think it played a role uh, in some of the kind of negativity that was swirling around punks at that time. Uh, but these guys, for me, they're legends, and they're obviously still active. They all have their own, most of them have their own projects now. Um, and I'd love, I'd love for you to get them on Punkscast at some point. Those guys would be amazing to hear their, their stories. Absolutely. Uh, definitely sort of try and reach out to them. Um, just, just out of curiosity as well, when you said, said the vibe changed in the uh, Punk Discord, um, uh, is it early are you saying early this year or towards the back end of last year i guess the question is yeah you know, why, why do you feel like that sort of changed i i mean look i mean for me choose my words carefully here but we can say post bayc around may june 2021 the energy in the whole space changed um i remember because I, I mean i saw it from start to finish i was there when they minted i was there post mint i saw how Certain people were pumping them, and then at the same time, they were attacking Larva Labs. There was a lot of criticism uh, at Larva Labs at that time. A lot of people just fighting the collection and fighting punks in general. And then within the Discord itself, I mean, the mentality a little bit in the space also changed. Prior to BAYC, it really was about art and innovation. Most people that were there, really, that's what they were into. Okay, there was speculation, some fun speculation on new projects here and there, but it wasn't like the be all and end all. It was just, a, it was just fun. Mm. Um, but I think it changed the, the energy and the, the kind of mentality in the space changed a little bit. It became much more money, money driven, much more hype focused. And it started to spill over in the punks where you started to get people coming in who were complaining a lot. They wanted utility. They, you know, they were criticizing. Uh, Matt and John, uh, because they weren't active in the Discord. Like it started to just spill over and it drove away a lot of the guys, like someone like Dave, for example. He's a mod. I don't know if he's still a mod, but he might be. It drove away people like that, who I think were really integral in creating a really like positive environment in the Discord. And, and so there were a few months there. Where, honestly, I just stayed away myself. I just couldn't, I, I didn't want to be in there because it became quite toxic. Mm. I, um, I, I sort of missed that whole, whole sort of piece. Um, so I, I sold mine and then sort of about bought back in there. That's, that's sort of why I'm a little bit um, interested, but I, I am sort of hearing uh, very sort of consistencies uh, from other punks as well. Um, but I, I guess it's part of, you know, our history and part of, you know, who we are and, and where we sort of go next, right? Um, but I sort of feel like, on a, on a good note, I think there is a a fair bit of um, energy and building going on in the punk community in this bear market. Uh, I think a lot of the tourists have exited in some ways, and I think what we're left now is with you know real settlers in the punk community, um, and I hope that will continue. Um, but um, cool. And so maybe let's let's talk a little bit about your 
your punk collection. Um, I've got your wallet in front of me uh, and you've got nine punks and I can all see, I can see the prices on them. Most of them are sort of sub 10 ETH, which is kind of crazy. Um, and you've got a cowboy punk, which I absolutely love. Um, I've been eyeing off the cowboy punks for quite some time, but they're getting out of my reach. Um, but maybe let's just start with the one that you use as your primary punk. And perhaps if you can just share with every everybody, you know, what a dev punk actually is. And then I guess maybe let's go through your traits and how you came around selecting your traits for your primary punk. Sure. So when Larva Labs launched the collection, they kept a thousand punks for themselves, the first thousand. And so any punk you see with a three-digit number was one of the first thousand that they retained. And that's where they got the name. That's why they're, they're referred to as dev punks. Um, in my case, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, OX11 3D and these both bought Def Punks prior to mine. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, you know, like the devs are actually selling punks from their collections. I was like, you know what, let me have a look. So I pulled up their collection. Zombies were out of my reach. So I was like, okay, I want to buy a human, a human punk. Um, let me see which one I like best just from the visuals. I didn't think about traits. I didn't think about any of that. So I literally went through all the punks in their collection. And this was the kind of, this was the one that resonated the most. I just liked the way he looked. Mm. I didn't think about, yeah, the traits and stuff. I didn't really consider it. It's pretty cool. Like 3D eyeglasses, headband and big beard. He looks like a uh, huge rugby player. Uh, um, it's funny, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's obviously left the space now, but Sartoshi, he used to call, he used to call him Larry, Larry, Larry Bird weightlifting at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's very fitting. Yeah. Um, that's, that's cool. And, and then, so maybe talk through, I guess, your, you know, other sort of punks that you sort of bought, um, you know, they sort of during the same time, obviously different times are staged along that sort of journey. It looks like you got in very, very early. I mean, I think I bought all of them within a week period, less than a week or a week, something like that. It was, it was like within quick succession. And my first punk was actually my uh, do-rag, mutton chops, gold chain. Um, yeah. That was my first punk actually. And, and you know, in his, in, in his case, I just thought the provenance was cool because if you look at the history, he was once owned by uh, Tupac.eth. And uh, Tupac, uh, Tupac has a bit of a legacy from what I understand because he was a little ahead of my time. But he owned some crazy punks. Like he owned Cosmo Zombie. You know, he owned another zombie. He owned some really, really great punks and he just sold them all for a loss. And, you know, he just kind of sold them all. Like, I think he dumped them all in one go and, and, and like, just disappeared. Um, but I just thought the idea of owning a do-rag gold chain punk that used to be owned by someone called Tupac.eth, I just thought that was kind yeah. of, that was kind of cool. Um, and then on the others, I mean, look, I mean, for me, I, a trait that I think is, is extremely slept on is um, the green clown hair for females. Because the clown hair is a little different. It's like one of those traits where it's, there's a, a slight difference between how it is for male punks and how it is for female punks. And um, if you look at 
female punks with, with the green hair, I think there's around 60. So there are actually fewer of those than there are orange sides. But they're not valued that, they're not valued that way. Um, and I suspect that will change. Actually, in general, I, I suspect that female punks are undervalued in general right now and will, will become more valuable as more traditional art collectors start to look at punks. Um, that's just my perspective, not financial advice, of course. <laughs> the the uh, the green the green hair definitely sort of pops, and uh, it uh, definitely signals punk vibes, right? Uh, yeah, I love them. I love them. Okay. I mean, um, and, and so and so maybe just at that point in time, you know, you were you jumped into the Discord, you were a little bit intrigued about the crypto punks, but I mean, you obviously had a lot of conviction. You know, to buy nine punks in succession, like what was it for you that sort of hit home? What did crypto punks sort of mean to you? Actually, I I own ten. I um, I sold one, but we'll probably talk about that later. Um, honestly, even with ten, I was like, man, I want to buy more. I'm, I mean, yeah. no joke. I just it was when you between like you you know the idea of like. I think G Money's thread was was really influential, not just on me, on a lot of people. But then also when you saw the passion and the excitement that people in the Discord had, and you thought about the potential for NFTs and, and digital art in general, like long term, and the role that punks played in shaping the whole space. And every I mean everything about them just it was like it was like one of those things that I was just like this. It was like so obvious to me that these things were going to be prized in some way or another. Then I also looked at who 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 owned them, and you know, for example, I don't know, if, I don't think people are aware of who else owns punks, but I'll just give you some examples. Like some of the biggest artists in the space own punks, like people you might not realize, like X Copy owns a punk, Coldy, Josie, Matt Kane, you know, Pindar Van Van Armen. Um, killer acid you know some of the like biggest artists in the space they own punks and they used to a lot of them used to use punks as their profile pictures until around in like you know may june 2021 but prior to that a lot of these artists so when you see artists like that of that caliber holding a collection like this in that esteem it says something that to me is like it says something because i really believe you know, when you see artists like that valuing another artist's work, I think that's the ultimate compliment. Um, so yeah, I, I, my conviction hasn't wavered. Actually, I just, I just think they're great, like um, monumental, monumental collection. Beautifully said. Um, and so, mate, like, what's uh, what are you looking at collecting now? Like, what do you what are you collecting? I guess why do you collect? Um, majority of my collection is one of one art. Um, that's where I probably spend most of my time. You know, I, I, I love that side of this space. It's to me, it's the most exciting aspect of being in the space because it's like you see all these new artists, young artists coming in. Um, and you, even by buying one piece, even if it's, it doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money even you have such a big impact on someone else's journey. 
uh, you know, both financially, but also emotionally and morally, like they get so much, they get so much juice from connecting with someone and having someone buy their work, artists do. And, and I think as, as collectors in the space, that's the biggest impact we can have. You know, we can really, we can really make a huge difference to the lives of artists from all over the world. And I've seen it happen time and time again. I mean, like I've seen, like, for example, there's an artist, her name is Panther Gita. You know, she was a waitress in Argentina, you know, like on basically like, you know, minimum wage or, or whatever. And she started putting out digital art and she started selling pieces. And now she's completely independent. She's able to fully commit herself to her art and she's doing amazingly well. And that's one story of many. So for me, that's just so powerful. And you can't get that anywhere else in any field. Like, you know, traditional art, you can't. You, you don't have access. Here, I can get on DMs with any artist, almost any artist in the space and have a personal conversation with them and you can connect on a much deeper level. So that's where I, I spend most of my attention and most of my focus. I obviously dabble in other collections and, and other projects too. Um, but yeah, I would say probably, you know, 75% of my collection is, is art. Um, I, I sort of said, I really feel that as well. Um, just another side point around Panta. Really lovely girl. Um, had a couple exchanges with her as well. Um, she just did that recent uh, drop on Nifty Gateway, uh, which you know showcased all the artists um, that were contributing, I guess, to crypto art over the last year or two, which was a really nice drop. Um, and uh, her works, her works, pretty cool too. Um, but I, yeah, I think what you sort of said um, really resonates with me as well. I, I don't think there is anything like collecting in this space where you could build that much of an emotional connection with somebody. Um, and it feels a little bit rewarding that you could contribute to, um, I guess, their life in some ways, right, uh, as a collector. Um, so that's really cool. Um, and then um, just, just out of curiosity as well, like when you look at one-of-one one art, um, are there sort of anything in particular that you're looking for? Are you more focused on the story, the artist, the journey, or more from an aesthetic point of view. Um, how do you sort of look through these things? Yeah, it's, it's tricky, right? Because there's so much out there. I mean, for, um, for me, it always starts with an emotional connection. You know, I'll browse Super Rare's market page. If, and if a piece, if I just connect with a piece emotionally, then I'll, I'll, I'll dig into it some more. I'll look into the artist, I'll read their story, I'll look up their Twitter, get a feel for who they are, chat with them on DMs, um, get a feel for like, you know, their passion, their vision, their process, all of these things. And then, and then it's just a gut, it's, it's just a, it's, it's kind of gut feel, you know? Um, I think a lot of it is, is, is like that. It's very emotional. It's very emotional, emotionally driven. I would never advise anyone to make business decisions on one of one art. Um, I don't think, I don't think you'll last very long doing that. I think there has to be, you have to really love the work you're buying and um, assume that you're not going to resell it. And if you do, it's a bonus if that's something you want to do. But I, that, that, that wouldn't be, and that's never been my primary driver. Um, and frankly, 
I'll tell you, like, through all the bears, whenever, whenever I've hit a tough period, and there have been many in the last two years, whenever I look at the collection, the art pieces I've collected, it actually, it makes me feel, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel better. Because most of them, not all of them, but most of them I bought because I love the work or I love the artist or there was some positive association with that purchase, you know, versus FOMOing into some PFP collection and then like regretting it two weeks later, you know, it's a very different, <laughs> it's a very different experience. Um, and I know for a lot of people that don't collect one of one art, it's in, it can be intimidating. I would say this, I'd say, first of all, nobody's an expert. Nobody's an expert. So don't feel intimidated. Everyone's kind of guessing and figuring it out as they go. There are no right or wrong answers when it comes to collecting art. You just, you know, do what's true to you and don't worry about it. Nobody's going to judge you. Um, and trust me, like, if you find pieces that you love that are personal to you and you collect a couple, I think you'll just naturally pick it up. You'll naturally pick it up and it'll be one of those things that you, you'll really enjoy. I just think it's a universal thing. That's uh, awesome advice. And uh, I'll definitely look at one-on-one art a little bit more closely now, uh, for sure. Um, and when, when you look back at your, I guess, your NFT career to date, um, do you have any sort of wins or losses that sort of come to mind that's worth mentioning? Always. The losses always come to mind first, right? <laughs> Um, look, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm not a trader. It's not natural to me to trade. I'm more of a hoarder as a collector. So one thing I learned probably the hard way was that, you know, when things, when there is a bull run or when there, things are, you know, when prices are going up and stuff, take some profit. I think that's a lesson I, I, I learned, especially like, you know, last summer. I probably could have taken some profit on certain things that I didn't. Um, that's one lesson. The other lesson is FOMO is the enemy. I've never FOMOed into something. I've never not regretted FOMOing into something, period. Whenever I've bought something because I saw someone talk about it or someone else, you know, or some, someone post about it or I thought, oh man, if this thing moons and I don't have one, like whenever I've made a decision on, the, on that basis, I've regretted it. Like, Pretty much every time. So those were the two biggest lessons I learned. It's like, ignore the noise. There's a ton of noise, especially on Twitter. A lot of strong opinions. A lot of people like to make these massive declarations about this collection is a grail, and this is the grail, and this is a masterpiece, and this is blue chip. You know, a lot of it, I mean, frankly, a lot of it, people are kind of just pumping their own bags. And... Uh, you know, leveraging the fact that they have a couple hundred thousand followers or that they are able to, you know, they go and spend a thousand ETH on a piece and they know that that's going to make waves. Ignore that stuff. Um, I think it's very important for, again, in, from my experience, my biggest wins and biggest opportunities have always been where, when I bought things where people aren't looking, you know, so if, you know, I mean, punks is a good example in that sense. I mean, I, I went in aggressively quite early before there was really a lot of commotion and excitement about them. Um, but there are other things, other things too. One of one art, there are a lot of examples of that where, you know, I've, I've bought artists relatively early on and then 
few months later, they're selling pieces for, you know, multiples of what I paid for them. And it's always, it's been because my nature is to be contrarian. So when I see a lot of people flock towards something, I go the other way. And sometimes that's cost me. Like I, I could have made more money potentially if I had, if I had just followed the momentum. Uh, but in the long run, uh, my biggest wins have always been by kind of finding those hidden gems or, or looking at projects that are being ignored by the majority. Uh, and I think your track record speaks for itself, uh, or I guess with your level of conviction on CryptoPunks, mate. So uh, really good advice. Um, and when you look across, I guess, the Twitter space, uh, who would your favorite punk personality be? I can't pick one. That's the thing. It's so, and it's a blessing, right? Like we're very lucky. I think we have so many personalities that I, I think are great. I mentioned those artists. For me, that's massive that we have that many uh, artists that are that own punks, even if they don't use them as their profile picture. But then, if you know, you look at again. I relate a lot more to the art space, but you look at some of the the, the you know best collectors, in my opinion in the space, I mean, they're all big punks holders, like Token Angels for me is number one. Mm. Number one collector in every aspect by far. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that. But if you see his punks collection, it's, it's, it's epic. He's yeah. got like some of the most, you know, incredible punks. Um, and he, so for me, that guy is just on his own, is a league of his own. But then you have so many other collectors, you know, People like Bharat, you know, Batsu Pyam has a great punks collection, even though I know he doesn't use one as his profile picture. And then you have guys like uh, RD Hands and Art Pleb, who are really great art collectors. Like these guys, they both have fantastic eyes uh, for art. And then they're crypto punk holders and they use their punks as their profile pictures. And I think that represents us very well. People like Capricar as well. I'm a huge fan of his because I think he's really stand-up guy and he really he really represents punks well um and he's also like really supportive of artists so i, I could give you a really really long list i mean but and like i said that's a blessing for anyone that's part of this community uh, to be connected to these you know people of this caliber um uh, you know and, and and the guys i mentioned at the very start justin trimble he was a huge support for me personally when i entered the space and um he still is, and he's a huge advocate for CryptoPunks. And Dave as well. Uh, some of my favorite people in this space. So. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think Token Angels, um, he's a, uh, I mean, I always look at his collection and what he's buying. He, he absolutely has a, a fantastic eye for, for picking up um, quality pieces early on. Um, so I think he got me onto Matt Cain, Sirizuka, uh in the early sort of days as well so um yeah good uh, good shout outs um and if you were if you were to describe punk culture in a few words how would you describe it i mean the things that come to mind first conviction but that's more for the guys that have been holding their punks for like four years and just have unwavering belief in the in the value and what they represent and, and honestly could have cashed out at any time they have a lot of these guys have had multiple opportunities to just dump everything anytime they want and they haven't done it and that for me is the way 
to lead by example. You know, um, when you see someone who owns 50 or 100 punks and has owned them since 2017 and hasn't dumped, given all the things that have happened over the last year or so, like, I think that's huge. That's a huge vote of confidence. Um, so that's a big one. But I, also art and innovation. You know, I mean, I, I personally, I look at, I look at CryptoPunks as an art collection. I don't look at it as a PFP collection. I think it's first example of, of generative, of a, you know, you could say long form generative art collection that, that ever existed. And um, reminiscent of like, you know, Andy Warhol's like uh, Marilyn Monroe portraits. I mean, so art is, is a big thing and innovation. I mean, look at all the various ways that the Larva Labs and CryptoPunks have uh, influenced and shaped the space as we know it. So those are the three three key words for me. Awesome. And if you could pass on a message to the next owner of your punk, what would you like to say to them? I would say, before you do anything, uh, take the time to study the history of, of the collection, the community, go back and read some of these com old conversations in Discord. Really, you won't really appreciate the value of what you have until you do that work. And, and I think that's very important. I think I'm a big believer in like valuing history and valuing the people that laid the foundations for what, we, what we're able to enjoy today. Um, and so that, that would be my, my biggest word, word of advice is take the time to connect with what your punk represents. It's not just a PFP, you know, it's a, it's a unique work of art that represents innovation and conviction in this space. And I think it's important to really value that and understand that. Beautifully said, Om. Um, but, uh, I think you've just uh, given me ch uh, chills down my spine. I think um, <laughs> I want to go out and buy some more CryptoPunks now. Um, but uh, hey, Ohms, this has been super fun um, just to have a conversation with you. And you know, obviously you're very thoughtful. Uh, in terms of how you approach collecting art and and what CryptoPunks means to you. And definitely uh, you're an asset, I guess, to to the punk community um, in terms of singing, uh, uh, I guess, the values and expressing them in, 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 in uh, meaningful ways. And so uh, so thank you for uh, joining Punkcast for an episode. Um, but I guess just throwing it over to you, um, any sort of final closing comments and I guess, how can people find you? Um, best way to find me is on Twitter. My DMs are open. So I will 99, unless you're shilling art, <laughs> I will, I will respond to you. So don't, don't, don't <laughs> message me to shill something. If you, if you genuinely want to talk about anything, if you want, if you're interested in getting to one of one art, you don't know where to start. If you have questions about, I don't know, anything related to punks or anything in general, please like feel free. Uh, I'm a resource to, to everyone, um, not just in the punks community, but obviously this is directed towards them. And that's it. I mean, enjoy. I, I think uh, we're really lucky. I think we're all really lucky to be in the space this early on and to be a part of this community. And uh, that's all. I mean, thanks, Will, for having me on. Really enjoyed it. I think it's great what you're doing. Um, and there are, you know, 
we've got some really, really great members in this community. So I'm looking forward to hopefully hearing you, you know, have, uh, have a podcast with, uh, with them as well in the future. Definitely. And thank you for the words. Um, and guys, that uh, wraps up podcasts uh, for another week. Uh, and we'll be back next week with a new punk. Bye for now.